you have your Bibles, could you take them and turn to Psalm 116? Psalm 116 is where we will be today. If you picked up one of the Bibles in the back, it's page uh, 350. Uh, If you're new to the Bible, it should be kind of right in the middle. So uh, the book of Psalms is right there in the middle, a big, big book right there in the center. I want us to look at this Psalm uh, together as a church family today. Psalm 116. Let's hear the words of the Lord this morning. And says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice. He's heard my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, Deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I'm greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? That's a worthwhile question to ask. December 31st. What shall I render to the Lord For all his benefits to me, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. When it comes to New Year's, I always feel a little bit conflicted because in In some sense, days like today, our markers, they're kind of arbitrary. So someone decides this is when the the new year is going to end or start, and this is when the old one's going to end. And in some ways, it's just another day. But then I'm conflicted because I also realize God has given us seasons, and he's hardwired even our, our planet, our existence, to have some seasons. And if I think about 1 Corinthians 10, which says, everything is to be done for God's glory, then it helps me kind of process what a new year could be. It could be something that even the marker, although it's just an arbitrary day, it could be a marker of the Lord using that season, this particular year, the particular beginning of the year, it could be used by God in a way that we might bring him glory. And with that, I, I come to Psalm 116. As, I, as I've read the psalm for you this morning, as I've dug into it, even over the years, I've realized this is one of those psalms where I feel like every time I go, there's more to see, there's more to explore, 
there's more to pull out. It's like a, a deep mind where if you read this and you kind of soak in it a, a while, God, God speaks. And I, I think it gives a progression that I want us to just pay attention to because I think it's an important progression that will be valuable to us, not just today, but really all throughout the upcoming year. And when you come to the Psalms, and we, we look at Psalms pretty regularly at Ogletown, we read them and we pay attention to them. One thing to just take mental note of is these are, these are poems. So this is what the, the, the Hebrews would sing. And so this is Hebrew poetry. And when you, whenever you come to Hebrew poetry, it's always, it's always helpful to read it as a whole, which we did. But, but poems are also written, not just to kind of digest as a whole, but also to look line by line and really even word by word to, to try to understand all the images, all the analogies all the symbolism, and to really pull from that. And, and so I don't want to just dissect a poem because I don't think that's helpful, but I also want to make sure we have, we have gone into it and explored, like, what, what do these words mean? And we've gone there deeply this morning in Psalm 116. So if I can, I'd like to be a guide today and kind of walk you through a progression that I see as extremely valuable, that I see just kind of emerging from these from these words in the Psalms. So I hope you'll keep your Bible in front of you or your screen on. And, and, and let's, let's look at what God has to say for us in this Psalm. So if I, if I kind of was setting up the progression, the first part of this progression is the psalmist acknowledges his weaknesses. So this is what I would invite you to do, even kind of as we think of today, but also, yeah, with an upcoming year is there are regular opportunities where we can acknowledge our weaknesses. We don't have to try to hide our limitations. As I read through the psalm, it, it resonates often where, with where we live. If we listen to the writer just for a moment, we can hear what he's saying about where he is at the moment. So even right there at the beginning, verse 1, he, it says he, is, he has a plea for mercy. So he's calling on the Lord to help him in a way that he, he doesn't feel like he deserves. And he's asking the Lord for mercy. In verse 3, he describes, frankly, that he, he feels like he has experienced the snares, the trap of death that he cannot get out of. It says in verse 3, bluntly, I suffer distress and I suffer anguish. In verse 6, he talks about, I, I was brought low humbled or, or maybe even humiliated. So whatever he had walked through, whatever waters he had walked through, he had felt some of this weakness, some of his own limitations. He recognizes in verse 8 that the Lord has saved him from tears and saved him from stumbling. I mean, is that potential? Potentially he could have been emotionally a wreck or potentially he could have stumbled or is that real? I, I think it could go either way. I'm not, I'm not quite sure exactly what he's saying real or potential, he has been delivered by God from a very distressing circumstance. Verse 10, he says, he was greatly afflicted. In verse 11, he said, he felt alarm. In verse 11, he says, you know, in my alarm, I just said, everybody's a liar. You know what what he's saying? I can't trust anybody anymore. The people that I used to think I could trust, I can't trust them anymore. Nobody, nobody is close enough. He's feeling very isolated with no one to trust. And Even in verse 16, he talks about how the Lord worked on his behalf, freeing him from bondage. So he felt some sort of bond, something that he could not get out of. 
Honest words. This is what it means to be human. And we can try to rise above it, but we never can ignore. We are, we are weak. We have limits. We can try to survive and we can try to grow. And, and I think we should. We should try to grow. But at some point, perhaps quite often, we experience these things. The language he uses feels familiar to us. Or at least, if we're honest with ourselves, it should. I wonder, I wonder, do you have an awareness of your, your weakness? Of your limitations? So the writer of the psalm cried out for mercy and said, God, help. Is there anything in your life that is making you cry out for mercy? Saying, Lord, I need your help. I need you to intervene. Is there anything, think about the last three months or six months or 12 months, is there anything that has brought you low, so humbled you, maybe even humiliated you? Where you say, Lord, I, I feel, I feel very low. What are, what are the pressure points when, when the psalmist uses words like, I, I'm alarmed or I'm filled with distress and I'm, I feel anguish, I'm afflicted. What are the pressure points that would cause you to say, yeah, that, that is me. What is just around the corner, maybe it's not even real, but it's potential. And you know, if this were to happen, it would be the worst fear of my life. I don't know, I don't know how I'd survive. I don't know what I would do. Maybe we can resonate with what this psalmist is saying. I mean, in some ways, his struggle is a little bit anonymous. We don't know all of what he's going through. But ours aren't so anonymous at all, are they? Perhaps it's the, it's the family crisis. They've just blown up your world. You say, Lord, have mercy. Please, help, help, rescue, save. Maybe it's a financial situation that just seems to have gotten gone from bad to worse. And you're, you're, not, you're not really seeing a pathway out of it. And you cry out to the Lord for help. Maybe it's your marital status, your marital situation. Maybe it's the job you know you have, you've had a, had a break from, but now you have to go back to. And you go, I, I feel like this is just crushing my soul. Maybe it's a struggle with sin or a habit and you feel like you're in bondage and you just don't see yourself getting free from it. Maybe it's your, your goals and you, you want to meet them, but you realize you're falling short or your career or your station of life. And you look around and you go, I, I should be further. I should have done more. I should, I should be in a different place than where I am right now. I, if you would have told me five years, I, I never thought I would be here. Why am I so stuck? Maybe you look around at friends or at least people that once were your friends and now you realize they have zero time for me. Yeah, everybody's a liar. Nobody can be trusted. You look around. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the the pressure points are, the things that trigger these kinds of emotions. But I do know at some point we feel, we feel the weakness. We feel the hurt question is, are we able to be as honest as the writer of Psalm 116? When we start off with the progression where we, where we acknowledge our weakness, I don't know that we're ever going to necessarily move beyond feeling our limitations, feeling our weakness. 
what do you do after you feel it? I mean, it's probably not that hard for me to go through a list of things and eventually you go, yeah, that's, that's me. But what can you do about that? What should you do about the weaknesses you feel? Well, honestly, some of those you might be able to rise above with a good New Year's resolution strategy. Like if you just make the right one, do the right things, a few of those things that come to mind as pressure points or difficult things in your life, you could see some improvement. You could make some, you, you could make some change. And if you just were disciplined enough and you were to do it this year, despite the fact that you haven't in the past, if you were to do something this year, you could see where maybe that would work, maybe that would help you out. But, and there are so many things in life that go far beyond just a New Year's resolution strategy. There's, there's some things that go far beyond me just jotting down like how I need to use my time a little better this year or what things I might want to plan for. You see, I mean, there's a host of things that are completely out of my control that I, I, I and myself have no strategy of how to change this or change that person. What do we do there? If the progression starts with acknowledging our weakness, I, I think the next thing would be, especially in this passage, is that we cry out to the Lord. We cry out to the Lord. That's exactly what the writer of this psalm says. What does it look like? I mean, what does he say? In verse 1, it says that he pleads to the Lord for mercy. In verse 4, it says he calls on the name of the Lord. We've, we've sung about that this morning, right? I will call on the Lord. This is the progression. We, we acknowledge our weakness, but then we cry out to the Lord. He, he makes this prayer in verse 4. He, he says, Lord, save me. What he wants, we, we can read into this in verse 1, in, in verse 2, what he wants is for the Lord to hear. What he wants, though, is even one more step than that. It's not just for the Lord to hear because God's a big God. There's 7 billion people in the world. There's a lot to hear, but he wants the Lord not just to hear, but to care. And so it makes a difference when the Lord inclines his ear. It's like a, a word of posture there. Just giving us a, a mental picture of what the Lord does. When he hears his children crying out to him, he inclines his ear, he turns and he listens to make sure your request is heard. The psalmist says, I cried out to the Lord. This is his reflex. As much as that seems to be his reflex... True confession time, it's often not mine. I walk down these alternate strategies for how I'm going to cope with my weakness. Perhaps you do as well. When, when I start to feel the limitations and I start to feel the weakness and I start to feel just being, being human, it's very easy for me to generate even more fear and more concern. And it just, things escalate in my heart. I, I begin to think through, what if this goes wrong and that goes wrong and that goes wrong? And I've got 15 worst case scenarios in front of me. No margin for any best case scenario. It all seems like this will only go bad. And I could think of 12 different ways this could go bad and just totally blow up my life and blow up my week, blow up my month. I, I can think of ways, in, and in my heart, I'm not, I'm not crying out to God. I'm, I'm thinking about all the ways in which my weakness is going to be exposed and magnified. Or, or another, another thing that happens is I, I, 
I feel like the, the solution to my weakness or limitation is more data and more wisdom. So I go advice seeking and, and that's a good thing in and of itself. It's a useful thing. I, I, I don't think we should be on, on an island trying to make decisions, but how often will that substitute? If I could just talk to that person, if I could just get that advice, if I could just get a person to help me think through this, then I would, then I, then I would know, then I could really move forward with this. And it takes the place of crying out to God. Although, I mean, certainly there are worse things we could do. We could when, when the pressure comes and we, we feel it, we could run. Run from the whole thing. We've been dealing with it long enough. And even though we know, like, that's futile, that's ridiculous, we're not going to outrun it. Or, or we could try to find some substance to help numb everything in the world. So if I could just have a hit of that, or if, if, if I could just have a, a drink of this, if I could just, like, I, I, I can't deal with it. I, I, I'm going to have to, like, even to sleep tonight, I, I'm going to need something to just take a big edge off because I, I, cannot, I cannot deal with this. And sometimes those escalate into very dangerous habits. Or maybe yours isn't nearly so dangerous. You, you're the kind of person that, when these kinds of things come, you have weakness, you have limitation, you get a plan. And you know what you do with your plan? You work your plan. And you can, you can handle this. Again, in, there's varying degrees of help in all those alternate strategies. But often my last thought, oh yeah, I, I should pray about this. Because God, I really need your help now. That would be my first reflex. Over time, my reflexes, spiritually speaking, get dull. And it may be something I have to retrain in my soul that I go there first. Because I know that and that and that and that and that cannot help. But I'm going to cry out to God. And I know he'll hear me. And I know he'll incline his ear to me. The psalmist doesn't just like throw a prayer up into midair. He prays even with confidence. It struck me, I was reading through Psalm 116 and then you come to verse 10 and he says, I believed. He says, don't get me wrong, I was alarmed, I was distressed. I said, that, you know, it's off the rails right now, but even in that, I believed. That's why I called on the name of the Lord. That, that, that phrase, calling on the name of the Lord, what it means is it's, it's taking the name of the Lord which represents his character and and who he is, his attributes, and it's applying that to our own situation. So I'm calling on the character of God. I'm crying out for God to be true to his character. And I'm requesting him to act in my life. We even get a glimpse into exactly what, what the psalmist thought of the character of God. Did you see verse 5? He says, the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is merciful so when he calls on the name of the Lord, this is the God who he is calling out to. He's calling out to a God who is gracious, unmerited goodness. And he's calling out to a God that is righteous. A God who keeps his promises and commitments. He's calling to a God who has this heart of compassion. that isn't just like throwing us to the wolves, but deeply cares for us. And if those words like grace and mercy and righteousness, again, 
as Champ said at the beginning of our service, if those seem like, like church words, what the Lord did for us, we have a vantage point that the psalmist didn't even have. We have a vantage point. Uh, we see what grace really means when we look at the cross. You want to know what mercy looks like? We look to the cross. You want to, look, you want to, you want to see righteousness in action, not just like a, a theoretical attribute, but God in his righteousness. You, you look at this God who created, created a world, created image bearers, and those image bearers rebelled against, rebelled against him, decided not to bring him glory. And yet still the grace of God, the unmerited goodness of God came to us. And he made this covenant and this promise to us that if we put our faith in him, we put our faith in what Jesus has done for us. We put our faith in what he's done for our sin. Then in mercy and compassion, he will rescue us. He will save us. I think the Psalms just, it's like it's the shadow. The Psalm, it gives us a glimpse. It gives us a taste of what we see fully of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And it's a taste of that gospel, a taste of that good news that forms the basis for these kinds of prayers. As we cry out to the Lord, we're reminding ourselves of who God is. David's certainly not just thinking God had a lapse of memory and so, oh yeah, you're gracious, remember. I think it's doing much more in the soul of the writer of this psalm to go, God, you are gracious and you're merciful. We acknowledge our weakness and we cry out to God. But then the next, I guess the next phase of that progression is that we watch for the Lord to work. We watch for the Lord at work. And this doesn't always come easy, especially when we're in desperate situations because we want God to work immediately and we become impatient when he doesn't. Or we, we want God to work in this particular way that will benefit us in this particular way and we become discontent when we don't see him doing it exactly like we think he should. Perhaps just, we do cry out to God, but we grow cynical. Like, ah, what's the use? Maybe we're all just playing mind, mind games here. But the psalmist looks, and he waits, and he watches for God to work. When we watch for God to work, let me just say, we will be prepared for God to hear us, not to just dismiss us because he's, he's got to run the universe. When we watch for God to be at work, we will expect him, when even it goes very, very dark for us, him to be inclining his ear, ready to listen, ready to pay attention, listening to every sorrow, every cry, when we watch for God to work, we will look for his rescue. Just like it says, the Lord, save me, Lord. We'll look for that. The psalmist says, you have saved me. You have rescued me. It may not come with your perfect time. It may not come in the exact way you would expect. But the Lord comes to our rescue. When we look for God to work, we become more aware of how much he cares for us. Right in the middle of this psalm is the, the words, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So when, when the psalmist felt like he was about to die, he reminds himself, well, wait a minute, in God's sight, death is not something that's just going to be squandered. I, I, as a kid might just 
you know, put coins into some sort of vending machine and just squander all their money that way. No, when, when God deals in matters of life or death, this is precious to him. He cares. And as you wait and as you watch, you continue to cry out in faith and in hope that God has something more for you. Whenever I come to the end of the year and I look back, you kind of look back on highs and lows. You look out back on losses and gains. And certainly, as a pastor, you've, you've walked with people through some prayers that were answered in remarkable ways, some prayers that were answered in difficult ways, some prayers that still remain unanswered. You see medical concerns where in this year God brought healing or even another kind of healing where someone met the Lord. Cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your guidance. I need your wisdom. I need your help. And then you watch for God to work. You watch for God to show up as you pray for friends that are in foster care and going through court dates and you say, God, I want you to work. Lord, work, be true, be merciful, be compassionate, be righteous. Lord, work for the best interest of this kid, work for the best interest of this family. Lord, give this person grace, help this person as they deal with the the deep pain and the deep loss that they're feeling right now. Lord, be faithful. And all of this, God's at work, never asleep at the wheel. I see this progression where we acknowledge our weakness and we cry out to God and we, we watch and we wait and we say, Lord, you work. But, but there's, there's one, more, one more part of this progression that kind of is our response. I mean, our, our response is deeper faith. So, so this is a little bit counterintuitive. And there's a streak in the psalm that reminds me a little bit of what we do with New Year's and that's make resolutions. Because if I counter it, I think six times in this psalm, the psalmist says... I will, I will, I will, I will. It's this, these resolutions. And the resolutions point us to a deeper faith that the psalmist had that I'm, I'm not sure he would have gotten to if he hadn't gone through the difficulty of crying out to God and seeing the Lord come through. If you have your Bible open, look at verse 2. I will for as long as I live. I will call on the name of the Lord. I will call on the Lord to be who he promised to be, to act in ways that are in line with his character. Verse 9, I will, I will walk before the Lord. The fact that I live my life before the face of God will shape how I spend my time, what I value, how I see myself, the person I want to become, the way I will use what he's given to me. I will walk before the Lord. And then there's that question that I called our attention to when we read earlier. What do I give to the Lord for all that he's given to me? And the thought is, if someone does something extravagant for you, what should you do? You should return the favor. If someone goes out of their way to show you kindness, what should you do? You should go out of your way to show them kindness. But notice this is not the path that the Psalm 116 goes. Well, what do I do? For the Lord, because of all that he's done for me, and verse 13 answers it this way. This is what I will do. I will offer, I will lift up 
a cup of salvation. I will, I will take, another translation says, I'll take the cup of salvation. So in light of all that God has given to me, this is how I will honor that. I'll take more from the Lord. I'll take his cup of salvation. Because what I should have been drinking was not a cup of salvation, but a cup of wrath. But Jesus drank that for me. So what I will do is I will take a cup of salvation and I will rejoice again and again and again and again that I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was under judgment, but now I receive mercy. I once was estranged, but now I've been reconciled. I I once did did not have a a spiritual family, but now I'm part of the family of God. I I will go again and again and again and take the cup of salvation and say, once again, Lord, you have saved me. Once again, you have rescued me. I'm not going to outgrow that. I'm not going to think, well, I'm beyond that now because I've been a Christian five years. You never outgrow taking that cup of salvation and say, what could I do for the Lord for all that he's done for me? I can enjoy the salvation that he's given. I love the way one writer says, he will go on receiving from the Lord so that the Lord's inexhaustible goodness will be magnified. And lifting up the cup signifies taking the Lord's satisfying salvation in hand and drinking it and expecting more. What do I do for the Lord because of all that he's done for me? I take the cup of salvation. What do I do for the Lord? I call on his name even more. I call on his name. I ask him to come through again. I put myself even in God's debt in a deeper way. I realize I I need to depend on him even more. He says, I will pay my vows. I will, verse 14, I will offer sacrifices of thanksgiving in 17. Again, I will call on the name of the Lord in 17. I will pay my vows in 18. And he says, I'll, I'll pay my vows. But the picture is, I will pay them in the congregation of God's people. The closing picture of this psalm is, uh, is one where God's people are gathered. I don't know whether it's a feast or a holy day or a sacrifice. But the picture is, there's this one person in that gathering who has recognized her weaknesses like never before. And who has cried out to God. And she has received God's work. She says, I'll praise the Lord. I will pay my vows. I will offer him sacrifices of thanksgiving. Or that, that one guy that felt his limitations and knew this is way beyond me. And so he cried out to God. And in that assembly that day, he recognized that the Lord came through for him and he says, I cannot help but say, God has been good to me. God has rescued me. I will do that, not just in private, but I'll go very, very public with it. It wasn't enough merely for them to watch God's work. The person who wrote this felt like they needed to go into the presence of all the people as well and express gratitude and commitment to the Lord. I wonder what does that look like for you? When does it ever go public for you? In light of all that God's done for you, when does it ever, whenever do you find yourself in an assembly going, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for saving me. Because I called and you rescued me. 
Maybe you talk about that over at lunch, over lunch today or before the year ends, or maybe this is just the theme of next year where regularly with others, you're going to, you're going to share. This is how God's come through. Let's pray. Let's pray for God's work in our lives. Let's pray that even as we've seen this progression, that we would, we would recognize our own weaknesses. We'd cry out to God, say, Lord, help, that we'd watch him at work and we would respond with deeper faith. Can I ask you to bow your head? In a moment, I want to pray that God would take whatever seems massive to you, that's burdening you, that seems like has put you in bondage, and I'm going to ask that you would cry out to God, that he would hear. Oh, Lord, you know our weakness, you know our limitations, and you have called on us, you've commanded us to pray. You've told us to ask and to seek and to knock. And you've promised to work for our good when we do. We cry out to you. And so here we are, Lord, we're doing that. And I pray that you would work in our church family in such a way where we would, we would respond regularly with deeper faith. That our gratitude would, would not just make, cause us to make some empty promises but it would fuel devotion to you, that it would fuel more prayer to you, that it would fuel gratitude to you. We would offer up our lives and say, we will take that salvation again because we are sinners saved by grace. Lord, this is our offering today, offering of gratitude. May we be resolved to do this on a regular basis. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.